Welcome to the Passion Harvest podcast audio series. Thank you so much for listening today. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. If you would like to watch this episode, please head over to our Passion Harvest channel on YouTube. We love taking you on a journey to discover your passions. Thanks for listening. Hello, passionate people. Welcome to Passion Harvest. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. Thank you so much for joining us today. I have, as always, a very, very exciting guest, and I can't wait to share his story with you. If you like this episode, please do subscribe. My guest today is Jeffrey Olson. If you don't already know who he is, Jeffrey had a horrific automobile book automobile accident that took the lives of his wife and youngest son. During the accident, Jeff experienced an NDE or near-death experience. Jeff received multiple life-threatening injuries, including the amputation of his left leg, and he found that the courage to survive over 18 surgeries, eventually healing both physically and emotionally. Jeff appears on many national and international television and radio programs sharing his insights. He is a best-selling author who inspires audiences internationally with his intriguing story of perseverance and inner strength. Jeff's latest book, Knowing, is a compilation of his earlier books with a deep insights and extended chapters. Jeff also offers Awaken to Oneness, personal one-on-one mentoring and group gatherings, both physically and virtually around the world. Among Jeff's many accomplishments, he is most fulfilled by simply being a husband, father, and friend. This is his story, and this is his passion. Jeffrey Olson, welcome to Passion Harvest. I'm so excited to have you on the show. It's such a pleasure to be with you, Louisa, and I, I can't wait to, uh, to share. And uh, thank you for that brilliant uh, introduction. That's, uh, you make me sound way cooler than maybe I am, but it's, uh, it's lovely to be with you. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I, can, I can start giving just some background, um, maybe even to the things leading up to the accident and leading up to the near-death experience. And feel free to chime in and ask questions as we go. Because well, this show's about you today, so. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the spotlight then. No, no deferring. Um, leading up to the accident, one of the most interesting things, and I don't often talk about this, it is in the book Knowing. But uh, my wife woke up the day we were leaving for a family road trip. We were on a family vacation. It was, the, uh, it was the Easter weekend. But she woke up and she'd had a, a strange dream, um, which troubled her. And the dream was that she dreamt I was marrying someone else. Now, you know, as a husband, I'm like, oh, come on, dear. I mean, you know, I'm yours. You know, we're in love. And we were very happy. We had a a lovely marriage, um, but she had this dream and she shared that with me. And, you know, we, you know, I said, well, guys, you can't be mad at me about a dream you had. I, <laughs> I didn't dream the dream and I haven't done anything, but that was an interesting thing leading up to the accident, which in hindsight, um, you know, is, is of note. And we can talk about that after. The day of the accident was also interesting because we had celebrated the Easter weekend And we'd had a beautiful weekend with her parents and her grandparents were there and we were getting ready to go home. And I had put the kids in the car seat. It was me, my wife, and we had two, uh, two boys. 
One was seven years old and the other one was a toddler, just 14 months old, just learning to walk and talk. And I'd put the boys in their car seats in the car. We had said goodbye to everyone, hugged. We were in the car and there were her parents, you know, grandma and grandpa standing on the porch waving like they do. And I was just putting the car in drive and, and Tamara said, stop, stop. I, I, I want to go say goodbye to mom and dad one more time. Now, I put the car in park, but in my mind, I was saying, oh, gosh, women, you know, we've said goodbye. I've got to get on the road. We need to get back to, uh, we had a, you know, a good five-hour drive ahead of us to get back home. But I noticed this. I watched and I noticed as she went up to the porch, and she not only hugged her mother and father, but she, she kissed them both. She hugged and kissed them. And this was not abnormal for her, but I noticed it. I noticed it. I watched it. And it was a sacred moment, especially the way the day would play out. But she hugged them. She kissed them. She came joyfully running back to the car and she got in the car, put the seatbelt on. And I went out on the interstate and I put the car up to 75 miles an hour and set the cruise control which was as fast as I could legally go. I was hurrying to get back home and away we went. You know, and I would have thought nothing of that moment and watching her except for how the day played out because as the day played out, that literally was the last goodbye. Um, another interesting moment. And these moments, I mean, I speak of moments. I've, I've come to the what the realization that our life is just a chain of moments all strung together you know like a string of pearls moment to moment to moment and within each moment there there seems to be a choice you know tamra got that whisper she chose to go hug and kiss her mom and dad she came back to the car i'm driving down the interstate going as fast as i legally can and i just looked in the mirror uh, to just check traffic behind me, just glanced in the rearview mirror. And what I noticed in that moment, as I looked, and, and when I say moment, I mean, I'm, it, was, it, was a, it was a moment, it was a glance, but it's almost like time stands still in those moments. But as I looked in the rearview mirror, I noticed Griffin, my little boy, my little toddler boy. And I saw that he was sound asleep in his car seat. And he was our miracle baby. There'd been complications in the first pregnancy and delivery. We were told we may never have more children. Spencer, our oldest, was seven years old, but Griffin came, you know, gosh, six years after that, and then there he was. And in that moment, as I glanced, I saw him, and there was this incredible connection, and I noticed, even in a glance, the details of how long his eyelashes were. And, and what a miracle, I'm like, there's my miracle boy, you know? And I also noticed Spencer behind me playing with little action figures and he was making all these noises. They were Star Wars action figures and he was having the greatest lightsaber battle, you know, in the universe. And it was, I mean, there was this connectedness and I glanced over at my wife, Tamara, and she was also sound asleep. She had reclined her seat back and she was sleeping, but she was still holding onto my hand. Uh -huh. And in that moment, I thought, wow, 
you know, we're 10 years into a marriage, two children, and, and she's still holding my hand, you know, the same way That's we so did beautiful. on that first date. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so that was a moment leading up to the accident. And it was an absolute moment of, of gratitude. It was just this, it was a glance in the rearview mirror, but I seemed to have this clarity about how lucky I was and what I had and what that felt like to be connected to my children and my, and my spouse. It was about an hour after that, that everything came apart. And um, there was reports of heavy crosswinds on the road. There was uh, reports of a big truck that was driving erratically on the interstate. I don't remember exactly what happened. My biggest um, heartache, and maybe the hardest part of telling this story is that I believe I may have dozed off at the wheel, um, just, just for that moment when you just doze off. Mm. And um, what happened is I swerved to the right, I overcorrected to the left, and I lost control of the car. And the car began to roll, not off the street, but down the street, propelled by the concrete at 75 miles an hour. And it was a horrific uh, accident. The police reports say the car probably rolled no less than six or eight times. Um, I blacked out for most of that. But when the car came to a stop, I was incredibly conscious. Um, the, the first thing I heard was Spencer, my seven-year-old, crying hysterically in the back seat. And, and my reaction as a father is, I've got to get to my boy. I, I've got to get to my son. But that's when I realized that I could not move. Um, I was pinned either to the floorboard or the seat. I couldn't tell. There was the rancid smell of gasoline, all the glass, you know, that was broken. I had no idea of my injuries. Um, what had actually happened is that both of my legs had been crushed and, and shattered. The left leg was amputated above the knee. My back had actually been broken, L4 and L5, and the vertebrae, uh, vertebrae had been cracked, but it didn't damage my spinal column, thank goodness. Um, my right arm had almost been torn off, and my rib cage had been damaged, my lungs were collapsing, and then the seat belt had cut through my midsection and ruptured all my intestines out. Oh, Jeff. I, I was a mess, and, and yet I had no idea. All I knew is that my son was crying, and I wanted to get to him and couldn't. But that's, that's when I realized that no one else was crying. Um, that was the brutal silence, and when I, I actually knew that, uh, that Tamara, my wife, was gone, and... Um, I, I don't share this to be morbid or graphic, but there's, there's purpose as the story goes on. She, because she had reclined her seat back, the seatbelt had not restrained her properly, and she, um, she, had, she had suffered some head trauma, which took her life. And, and I knew that. I was aware of that at the scene of the accident. And because I couldn't hear Griffin, my toddler crying, I, I was attempting to see what had happened there. And what, what had happened is his car seat had broken apart. And he had been ejected from the car. Um, 
that was the worst hell a man could ever be in. It was like, where's my little boy? I knew Tamara was gone. Where's my little boy? And, and it's like spirit just said, he's gone too. I, 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 you know, and, and I want everyone listening in to understand it's been 20 years now. I couldn't even speak of this for a decade. I didn't talk about it. It was so horrific. I'm able to talk about it now. And I only share those details, not to be graphic or morbid, but it was in that absolute deepest darkness that something so interesting happened. As, as I'm in absolute terror and chaos on what has just happened and wondering, can't I just take those three seconds back? I mean, what happened? How, you know, can't I rewind the clock? It felt as if light came. And, and this is the near death experience. I believe what happened is my soul was now leaving my body. And it was interesting because here I had an hysterical seven-year-old in the back seat, Spencer, my oldest son. And I was able to say to him, um, it's going to be okay. And yet it was not okay. I mean, I, I, I remember thinking that's a lie. I mean, it was not okay. And, and I felt my consciousness leaving and this light, you know, rushing to me. But the light seemed tangible. It's almost like it was comforting me in the worst, darkest moment of my life. And I felt as if I was rising above the auto accident. And suddenly I could breathe. You know, my lungs weren't collapsing. I, the pain was gone. And I was actually a bit confused thinking, whoa, whoa, what, what's, what's happening? How, how can I be okay? Yeah. And in that confusion, if you will, this is when in this same bubble of light, if you will, Tamara, my wife, is there with me. And she's absolutely gorgeous. She's radiant. There's no head trauma. She's beautiful. And she's communicating with me. And, and I even, it was, a, it was a physical experience. I mean, I, I could feel her. I could, and yet it was physical. It was beyond the physical. I could, I could taste her tears. I could smell her hair, even though she was just there. You know, I mean, it was very, very physical. But she began to say to me, you can't, no, 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 you can't come. You can't come. You've got to go back. I mean, we were, we were having this conversation about, I was not, I, it wasn't my time. I couldn't come back. And, 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 and about our son, it's like, if you leave, he's orphaned. You know, and I, I, I learned a lot about choice in this scenario, because here I was looking at the woman I loved more than life. But I knew I had a seven-year-old in the backseat of that car. And based on his cries, I knew he was okay. And I, uh, I had to make a choice. And um, I chose to come back. Now, I've hesitated to share this for many years, too, because so many of us lose loved ones. But I had the opportunity in this scenario to say goodbye. And it was the most profound goodbye I'll ever say. Um, I'll never forget that, what that was like to make that choice. And yet the intention, we have no idea how powerful our thoughts are. I, 
in, in making the choice, suddenly I found myself wandering around a hospital, moving about a hospital. Now, I had no concept of time in this bubble of light. I later found out that people arrived at the scene. One happened to be a doctor, which could provide some emergency service for me, but was able to see to Spencer. He was even able to see to the bodies of my family in a professional and honoring way because of his background. Um, they, Spencer, my seven-year-old, was banged up pretty good, but he basically walked away from the accident physically. I had to be extricated from the car. Um, based on my injuries, I was life flighted to a, uh, to a trauma center, a level one trauma center. I had no idea of any of that. All I knew is I had wrecked the car. I had said the most profound goodbye I would ever say. And there I was wandering about a hospital, seeing the doctors, the patients, the nurses, the families of the patients. I was seeing all these people in a busy level one emergency um, hospital. But when I say I was seeing them, I was seeing them in a much more profound way than anything I'd ever experienced. Um, I was connected to them. I, I call it the oneness. Suddenly I was them and they were me. And it didn't matter what they had done or what they hadn't done. I mean, everything from the heroin addict to, to the saintly grandmother, I saw them as absolutely magnificent. And divine. Divine, yes divine and 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 for instance there was a nurse that passed by and and i knew in an instant in a moment again i mean these moments in a moment i knew her life i felt as if it had almost happened to me that i felt the abuse sexual physical emotional abuse as a child that she had experienced and yet in that same moment i saw this magnificent caring compassionate angel, if you will, you know, and I thought, wow, is that, you know, this is how she's channeled her pain is in healing. And, and I thought, what an incredible divine soul. And yeah. this happened with everyone I saw and passed until I finally came, you know, to a, a body, this man lying on the gurney that I didn't feel anything from, which I thought was odd. So I stepped closer. And that's when I realized that was me. Wow. I, I was looking at my own body, but that wasn't me. I was having this absolute connected experience, but there was the, the skin suit, if you will, that I had been wearing, and yet I knew I had to get back in it. And again, the intention, the power of our thoughts. You know, I've got to get back in there. And that was a profound moment too. There was such sadness. I'd always taken my body for granted. You know, I never thought about that my heart just beats and my lungs just breathe and I never have to remind it and that yeah. my eyes see and my mouth tastes and, you know, that there's intelligence in every cell and, and, and yet there it was so badly broken and damaged. And um, How did that make you feel looking at your body? Oh, wow. Um, sad. Um, grateful, but grateful in a guilty way of, wow, why didn't I ever take, I, I had been a division one athlete. I'd always been healthy. I'd never had any, you know, I'm like, wow, it made me feel, why did I take it for granted? Why didn't I honor this magnificent machine that my soul gets to live in while I'm here, you know, and, and that was profound. Um, 
And I also realized the sanctity of birth. It was so interesting because as I began to realize I've got to get back in the body, I remembered being born. I, I literally had a recollection of being born, the birth process, what that was like, which is it, it, in, in knowing I, I break that down and go into far more details than I can tonight. But, but yeah, going into the body was interesting um, because once in the body, then the guilt, the pain, the trauma, the grief, all of it returned in such a heavy, heavy way that it's like, oh, wow, why didn't I stay, you know, why didn't I stay out? Go back, um, oh, go back, go back with your wife. I, that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and quite honestly, I mean, I, well, it was difficult. I mean, I was ventilated. They had a big tube, you know, down doing the breathing for my lungs because they had collapsed. My, my legs were immobile, obviously, because they'd both been crushed and shattered. And my right arm was immobile because it had been completely torn out and there was no muscles still holding it in. And um, they eventually tied down my left hand because I kept grabbing at all the medical equipment. And it was, uh, it was a horrible experience. And, and, and the physical injuries and trauma were one thing, but the guilt, I mean, I was driving the car, you know, yeah. how, how, you know, I just, it was incredibly painful and uh, far more emotionally painful than physical, but the physical injuries were intense. I mean, I had horrible infections because of my, you know, the seatbelt. Yeah. The seatbelt tearing me open. Um, they had to leave the abdomen wounds open because of the infections and they would pack them every day. And, you know, the eventual amputation, uh, I, the, the leg had become gangrenous. They had to take it off. Um, you know, everything was just miserable, but it, it, it's really strange because it's almost like the door didn't shut. It's like I had one foot in this realm and one foot in that other realm. I would, I would leave the body from time to time, just not by my own volition, but I would think, oh, I just need a break. And then I would be standing in the corner looking at my body again, yeah. but always tethered. I always knew I'm, I'm here. I've chosen to come back and I'm going to get through this. I mean, long story short, I, I spent uh, almost six months in the hospital. I had 18 surgeries in total, putting me all back together. But the most profound experience out of body or near death was probably at the end of my hospital stay. And I was out of ICU. I was out of surgical recovery. I was actually in the rehabilitation wing. And... Um, I was finally able to sleep on my side. They had finally stabilized my abdominal injuries and my brothers were there and my brothers were incredibly supportive during this whole thing. But they were teasing me because I had laid on my back so long, I'd rubbed all the hair off the back of my head. <laughs> and they were giving me- always good. Yeah, yeah. But on this, on this night, I was finally sleeping, laying on my side and, and I, I, I fell asleep. And I recall thinking, wow, I'm actually sleeping very peacefully. I, I had been unconscious. I had slept, but I was in a peaceful sleep. And I felt that light come again, that same light that had come at the accident, this comforting light. And I was in so much grief. My brothers were there because they just, they knew I was having such a hard time, you know, and they said, the hey, we'll sit with you. Yeah, the guilt, the grief, all of it. Um, but on this night, I felt that light come again, that comforting light that, that was 
I don't know, like a blanket of love almost. And I felt as if I was rising above the hospital bed, just like rising above the accident. But, but this time the, the light went away, it like dispensed. And I was in the most beautiful and incredible place. Um, you know, people can say heaven or the spirit world. The only word I can use to describe it is I was home. I was home. It was so... Oh, so welcoming. I was elated. I, I began to run. And, and I knew with the injury, I wouldn't be running in this yeah. life with one leg and the only good leg I have crushed. It still has six pins and a plate holding it together. But in that realm, I began to run joyfully. And again, it felt so physical. I could feel the energy of the ground under my feet. I could feel, you know, that intelligence charging through my thighs and calves. I was, I was giddy. I was giddy running and thinking, I'm home, I'm home, and I'm well, and I'm whole, and I have both legs. I mean, it was just this joyful, joyful occasion till I got the message I wasn't there to stay. And when I said it, it was just a knowing. I knew I wasn't there to stay. And at that same time, there was this corridor off to my left. And uh, I knew intuitively I'm to go this way, which I did. And as I raced down the corridor, um, at the end of it was a crib. And Griffin, my little son, had been sleeping in a crib at the time of the accident. And so I raced to the crib and I looked in and there, there he was. Um, and he was sleeping as beautifully and as peacefully as when I glanced in the rearview mirror. Yeah. And I swept him up. Have you, ever, have you ever picked up a sleeping child? Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah, the, the weight and the heat of him. And, and, and I, it was so, I can't, I was even confused. I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I'm out of the body because I'm whole here. But the experience was so, gosh, beyond physical, like sensual, like I could feel him. He was solid against me. And um, I, could feel, I could feel his breath on my neck, you know, and I, and I leaned over and I smelled his hair. Um, and I thought, it's my, it's my boy. It's my baby boy. He's here and he's okay. And, and I begin to weep. I still weep talking about it. I'll never forget what that was like. And, and as I held him thinking he's really okay, I felt this intense presence come up behind me. Um, and it was so overwhelming. Now, I had grown up in a, in a conservative Christian home. You know, and, and I was a believer, but wow, I was experiencing something so profound. And as this presence came closer and closer, I actually began, I began to be fearful. I, I had grown up believing God was going to judge me and I was in trouble. And, and this presence to me felt like God. And, and, and I'm holding my little boy and my heart's just breaking, thinking he, he died because I crashed the car. Yeah. Um, his life was cut short because I lost control. And, and my thought was, I hope somehow I can be forgiven. That was my thought. And as I had that thought, and this almost felt physical too, I felt these like divine arms just wrap around and hold us both. And that's when the lid just came off. Um, it was communicated to me, not necessarily in words, but this beautiful being said, there's nothing to forgive. 
everything is in divine order. What a gift. Yeah, and I, I, I just began to weep. And, and, and as these arms came around me, it, it almost felt as if my son became part of me and I became part of God. I mean, I, it, it's like we became one. And I, I saw my life begin to play out. I've come to learn this is called the life review, but I saw my parents get divorced. I saw the insecurities that caused in me. I saw the overachieving that I had done in my life to cover up that insecurity. I, and yet I was seeing everything as an absolute gift. I, I had grown up again, believing that life was a test that I was probably failing, that perhaps God did this, you know, to test me, um, you know, uh, beliefs are so powerful. And I was believing that, but I was experiencing something so drastically different. I was experiencing absolute, unconditional love. I mean, love for every single thing, every single person, every single, I saw my brothers in my life. I saw I saw the accident and, and I was kind of eking out, God, why, why? And this was profound too, because I was told you created that. This is what your soul wanted. You created it and we love you so much. We supported your experience as did even your family members that you loved so dearly who left. It was all part of yeah, part of your, a part of my plan, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, God, why did you do this to me? Yeah. And, and it's being communicated, oh, you planned this for yourself, and we loved you enough to support it. Um, it, it, it was an absolute mind-boggling experience, and within it, I was given a choice. Again, choice became a very, I, I, I've now come to the conclusion there's only one cosmic rule and that's free will and choice. We get to choose, you know, and we're loved within that choice. But I was told that I could be mad at God my whole life, you know, because the crash happened and all that had taken place. And I could beat myself up my whole life if I chose because I was driving the car. But I was also told you can exercise your will and you can give your son back. You can let go. You can release him and exercise your will in this scenario. Now, of course, with my upbringing, I'm thinking, oh, no, God, I thought it was your will be done. And the beautiful thing is this being communicated. God, if you will, said to me, oh, no, your will is my will. That's how much we love That's so you. beautiful. <laughs> in all that beauty and peace, I was able to kiss my little boy. And... Um, and I gave him back. I handed him over. And then I woke up back to the hospital and all that goes with it. The injuries, you know, I, I returned home in a wheelchair. I had a colostomy bag because of the abdominal injuries. I mean, we could go on and on and on, but I would love to get into a dialogue because that's more interesting than me telling this story. But that, that's the premise of the near-death experience and the things that happened, which literally launched me into something where... I felt I came back to be a manifestation somehow of that. Gosh, if I could somehow manifest the unconditional love I experienced, perhaps that's my purpose. Well, thank you so much. That, that was so beautiful. And I think as you were talking, I was experiencing all these emotions. I, I was feeling the love and I was ready to cry and I was feeling the guilt. 
And it was just so uh, often with near-death experiences or these deep traumatic experiences, it's very hard to express in words, but you did such an incredible job. Oh, I do you. have a couple of questions. <laughs> ask away and I'll, I'll answer. You can ask me anything because so much has happened. Since it was so, my heart's still beating. It was beautiful. Um, yeah, I, f- I really felt it. You talked about when you, uh, in the hospital, uh, you, were commu- you, you were connected with everyone, connected with everything, and you almost could see all their lives. Were you still identifying yourself, even though you are a soul floating, I probably don't, not using the right word, were you still identifying as Jeff? I was me. I think Jeff is what they call me, okay. you know, but I was, gosh, I was part of the oneness, even though as individual, I was part of the greater whole in a very connected way. I, I don't know how to explain it, except I do call it the oneness. I mean, I was connected to everything, but I was still me. I was part of everything, but I was still me. Yeah. I was the universe, but I was still an individual. It was an incredible experience, yeah. And that's on my very humanist level, that's been an experience that I have talked about in talks recently for so long. I thought I was an individual. I could do it alone. We are, I was a singular unit, but it's not true. We're so interconnected and you know, that the human consciousness of this planet, of our neighbors, of our environment, it's all interconnected. We can't distance ourselves from it. No, no. And, and, and that this was the, this was the interesting thing, feeling connected to these other people who were strangers in this mm-hmm. realm, but boy, not in that realm. They were literally part of me and I was part of them. We were all connected. I mean, so many things teach us that we're separate. You know, I'm male, you're female, yeah. you know, or, or, or I'm one political party, you're another, or you're black, I'm white. I mean, all, all these things, we, 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 you know, we seem to be- Or we shut the door together. to our house and then that's it, we're separate. That's yeah. the, you know, good fences make good neighbors. <laughs> yes. And yet it's, it's an illusion. It's yeah, an illusion. It's, it's just we, a are wall. we are connected. And um, gosh, it's, if we could embrace that, if we could step into that, what a difference this world would be. If I realized that every stranger on the street was literally my brother or my sister or part of me, um, we wouldn't be at war. We wouldn't be having these, you know, horrible things go on in the world that do. Yeah. My other question is you were talking about in the hospital and you went back into your body. Is that just through conscious thought that you entered in your, back into your body? Conscious thought and intention. Cause I, for a moment I thought, well, how do I get back in? Yeah. I mean, you know, do I lay down? How do I, <laughs> you know, how do I get back in? And yet, our thoughts, conscious thought, our intentions, as soon as I made the commitment, I'm going back in, boom, I, I was in the body. I mean, back to the pain, back to all the grief and guilt and discomfort, but our intentions and our conscious thoughts are so powerful. We don't realize that I say that the, the, the thoughts are the gateway to our consciousness, and I really believe that to be true as well. Yeah. I'd like to touch on guilt because I believe guilt, fear, and grief send you to an early grave. They're one of the greatest causes of death. Guilt is such an overpowering emotion. Are we, should we feel guilty for 
events or situations that happen to us or we that occur to other people inadvertently occur right no, you know I, I i probably have a guilt complex you know i feel guilty <laughs> about everything maybe my upbringing but uh guilt is a very powerful emotion and and now i look at it differently i, I still might do something and i'll feel a little bad well i shouldn't have said that or you know but I just see it now as kind of a little warning sign. Well, if it makes you feel guilty, then perhaps you should shift your consciousness into another thought or into another way of being. Um, guilt and shame is a very low vibration. And yet I found that gratitude, you know, uh, is a very joyful vibration, maybe the highest. Guilt can serve a purpose. You know, I mean, I, I think if we feel guilt over something, the purpose it serves is to remind us that maybe that's not really who I am. You know, maybe I'm not stepping into the divinity of, of, of my magnificence. Therefore, that's why I have that little tinge of guilt. Gosh, I hollered at, you know, the boys or whatever. Well, if you feel bad about it, then shift it, change it and learn from it and move on. Right. Mm. I agree. You also touch on that this was a, I don't even want to say horrific accident, this accident, this whole experience and journey of suffering that you went on, it had been pre-planned by your soul. Yeah. Do you think every, do you, do you think the future is already pre-planned? That is such a beautiful question. And it's a difficult question because my experience was just that it's like yeah you laid all this out and yet within it you always have free will and choice so it is a bit of a dichotomy the contracts we made the intentions of coming and having the experiences to learn what our soul wanted to learn but within all of it we have free will and choice i the interesting thing is i think judgments kind of go out the window and comparisons. I could very easily be the guy strung out on some corner wondering what happened, you know. Um, I did have strong family support and, and I made a different choice to maybe I can go on. I mean, the, the thing that happened, and I'll, I'll share this briefly. Um, I had a huge epiphany when I came home from the hospital and I, I wasn't going to my home immediately. I had to go into my brother's home. I had home health and nurses and doctors coming into the home but um and i was there for a few months as well but on the way home it was interesting spencer my little surviving son seven years old and he had lost everything i lost he was banged up he wasn't badly injured at all physically but he had lost his mother he had lost his little brother and in many ways he had lost his dad and he had seen me in the hospital you know but when i was going home I worried so deeply about how is he going to deal with this? I mean, I was the rough and tumble dad. And at the time I was in a wheelchair, my left leg was, you know, lopped off. My right leg was in a brace trying to stabilize the knee that had been crushed. My right arm was in a sling, so I couldn't use it. I only had my one left hand to drive an electric wheelchair that they had taught me how to drive to get around. And I thought, we've got to go to the grocery store. I'm going to be on his turf. What is this going to be like? You know? And as my brothers brought me home, and I can't say enough about my brothers, but I saw Spencer. He was looking out the window, watching his, his uncles, you know, my brothers yeah. were lifting me, his dad, out of the car. They literally had to lift me and put me in the wheelchair. 
and I looked horrible and I had the big colostomy bag and I just thought, well, you know, how, how was this going to work? And I began to make my way to the house. My brothers were fantastic because they wanted me to do so much on my own. They're like, we want you to be independent. You got to, so I'm, I'm navigating the chair up to the house and the curtains swing and Spencer comes and he comes running out the front door and he came running toward me and he ran right past me. He went right past me. And I thought, oh, you know, I, I knew this was going to be difficult for him. How are we going to do this? And I, I begin to navigate my way to the ramp. My brothers had built a ramp so I could drive the wheelchair into the house. And I begin to turn the wheelchair and I just looked to see where he had gone. And he had actually run across the street and he was knocking on all the neighbor's doors. And he was saying, come out, come out. My dad has made it home. Come see my dad. Oh, and now uh, I need a tissue box. <laughs> well, I, and I did, I was just, I was just grieving. Oh. I mean, I just, I was just sobbing. And, and then he did come and he, he came and ran and he threw himself on my lap, which just about killed me. Cause I still had all the sutures, you know, from the abdominal repair. And he threw his arm around my neck. And, uh, you know, I, I had this conversation with him. I mentioned he was a star Wars nut. And I said, look, they're going to get me a Darth Vader leg and I'm going to work really hard to get well, but I'm going to be like this for a while. Can you handle this? Is this going to be okay? And we still laugh. He's full grown now. He's married, but he threw his arms around my neck and he said to me, dad, if you were nothing but a puddle of blood, I would still love you. And um, of course I just, what the water works, you know, yeah, of course. And, and the reason I share that this was the epiphany. Here I am in a wheelchair holding my surviving son in this room. And there was nothing less divine about that than being in the other realm, holding my son who had passed. I mean, literally, heaven was right here. There was nowhere to go or nothing to become. All that divinity was right here in a wheelchair, holding my son in this realm and realizing that even that's a choice. You know, mm -hmm. heaven can be right here if I am open to it and if I can simply just be in that moment of love and perfection. And that got me through a lot of things. I would hear his little voice saying, dad, if you were nothing but a puddle of blood, I would still love you. <laughs> That's so beautiful. You know, I, I, I'm learning to walk and I'm getting, I mean, that, that was the motivation. He was the motivation for me to come back into this realm. And he was the motivation to keep me going, to get well, to get back to work. Um, he's in some ways the hero of the story. And yet we had so many things happen. I mean, we had angels. Um, sometimes they were my brothers or my mom, you know, my yeah. dad, sometimes it was my buddies at work. And then there was obviously so much support from the other side. I've got two guardian angels in Tamara and Griffin. And maybe the biggest angel of the story is, um, is Tanya, my current wife. I mean, I, I was so heartbroken. I was back to work. I did heal. I learned to walk. I, you know, I, I walked kind of funny with a limp, but, <laughs> and I wasn't dating. I wasn't looking for anyone. And she magically dropped into our lives. And, uh, I fell in love again, you know, I mean, and who, and who gets that twice in a lifetime, yeah. right? I mean, and she came in willing to be my, wife to be Spencer's mother. We've adopted two boys who are grown now. Um, 
she's the hero of the story. In many ways, she came with her love. And, and I can't, love is the most powerful force in the universe. I mean, we have no idea <laughs> what love can do for healing and for just bringing us back to center. And, um, and that was magnificent too. And that, and that was, I felt guilty about that. I was falling in love again and I felt yeah. guilty about that. Cause I you mean, loved your wife that had passed yeah. as well. Yeah. Wow. I, I'm also hearing that one of the big takeaways is if you, we, we can cr almost create our reality. If you change your perception of what you think, we you, you chose joy. You chose happiness. You could have very well chose to live a sad and miserable life and it filled with guilt for the rest of your life, but you chose joy. Oh, that's, you know, it's so, <laughs> tweak that. That's beautiful. And, that, <laughs> and it, it literally happened to me. There was a point, and I, I'm not going to beat around the bush. During the grieving process, there was times I was suicidal. There was times I couldn't go on. There was times I thought, even though I love Spencer and he needs a dad, I want to be there. Um, there was one particular dark night of the soul when I... I realized that Spencer, and I was still on my own at this point, I, I couldn't even sleep in the bedroom. I would stay down on the main level of the house and I would sleep in the easy chair. I could go up the stairs, um, but it was just so painful to go in there alone. You know, and I, I, the bed felt like a football field. It was so big. I mean, I was just so lonely. But I hugged Spencer and sent him to bed and he was going up the stairs on his own and my heart just broke. I, I waited till his door closed and I knew he was sleeping, but I realized he's never going to remember his mom. He's a little boy. He's going to grow up and forget. And I just, I fell apart. I remember I was laying on the floor sobbing, angry at God this time. How, you know, why did you, yeah. um, and, and, I don't profess to talk to God every day, but that night I heard two words. I heard them audibly in my ears. And it was the same loving voice that held me in those other realms. But I was told that the two words were choose joy. It's your choice. Yeah. What you're going to do is choose. Our, our perception is our reality. That's so profound when you said that. And um, it wasn't long after that, that, uh, that I, I chose to see, I don't know, the beauty in the world rather than all the suffering, perhaps. Wow. I, I, I just love, I love your whole story. It's just, it's just so beautiful and so touching. And I've just so enjoyed this conversation. I'd like to talk about your book briefly, if you have it there. I do. I do. I, uh, <laughs> I brought it with me. The, knowing. The book is knowing. And, and that's a very special word to me. I mean, the book's available on Amazon, Knowing by Jeffrey Olson. There's my name. This is a beautiful image. You'll notice there's two little flowers right here. And it's a beautiful landscape. But those two little flowers to me, they, they represent my guardian angels. That's Tamara and Griffin uh -huh. that look after us. And even Tanya, my current wife, she feels the influence of Tamara. They never knew each other in, in this realm, but somehow they're connected because she'll say, gosh, I had a dream or I had this feeling. And I just seemed to know that this was something for Spencer as she was raising the children, you know, and knowing. So somehow there's, there's oneness even in that scenario. 
I know you also offer personal one-on-one mentoring sessions, but I just had to ask you because I get this, you probably get these questions so many times. Should people be afraid of death? I'm not. Okay. (laughs) Excellent answer. It it was the most, it was the most natural, beautiful thing. I mean, I I suppose many would say I died a horrific death. A, a yeah. violent death, the wreck, the carnage, the, what I knew and what I was aware of. But gosh, when that light came and I suppose my soul left my body, it was all so healing and it was all so natural. It was all so beautiful. So I have no fear of death. Um, I, I quite look forward to it, except I know I've got work here to do. Well, Jeffrey Olson, is there something you'd like to talk to the Passion Harvest audience about? Just a big thank you. Just a big thank you. And, and, and I want to emphasize that love thing. You know, I mean, it's such a simple word and, and I don't, it has so many meanings and it's not the word I'm talking about. It's that energy behind it. Mm. Uh, the world is so at odds right now. You know, I mean, we see so much with this pandemic and, and racial, you know, strife and gosh, an election and all the things in, in, in my country that are going on, which tell us we're separate. And yet I, I literally think it's the undoing of everything we know that we can choose something much greater, much better. All I want to say is operate from love. I mean, ask yourself, what would love do in any situation? And be that. I mean, show up that way. I Love is the only thing that healed me. And I felt divine love, the love of God, if you will, which was absolutely unconditional. And if we can overcome that and put our arms around each other as humanity and realize our oneness and just be more kind as an individual. I mean, I've asked myself with all that goes on in the world, what can I do? I mean, what can I do? One guy. And the answer is easy. I can be a better person. I can be a kinder person. I can see the beauty in the little things, which are the big things. And then there is joy in every sunset and every smile to a stranger. So be love and choose love and choose joy. Not that I'm telling anyone what to do, but that's what healed me. And I I know the power of it in my own life. And so I encourage you to open up to that. Absolutely beautiful. I'm inspired. I'm honored to have you on the show. You've spoken so honestly and filled with such rawness and I've cried. (laughs) I've laughed. My heart's been beating. It's been so beautiful, Jeff. Thank you so much for being on Passion Harvest. It's been a delight. I'm going to be buzzing all day after talking to you. You express yourself so 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 beautifully. (laughs) Thank you for having me. And and certainly anyone can reach out. Jeffrey, J-E-F-F-E-R-Y. Initial C, Olson, O-L-S-E-N, at Gmail. I answer my own emails. I'll look at them. And if I can serve or assist anyone in any way, happy to do so. So thank you for having me. It's just been an honor. It's It's been been a pleasure. pleasure. And all Jeff's details will be in the show notes as well. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. (laughs) It's been a pleasure. Bye. That is the end of our passionate episode. Thank you so much for listening and please subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends and spread the passion. As always, every day, may you be more and more passionate.